Amen. Well, we're in our second week of our series, In Due Time, and I'm so honored to have the opportunity uh, to, to bring the word today to speak into you um, what God has spoken into me, and I know that God's going to do something in you today, and uh, we're going to make that happen. Amen? You excited today? Come on, let's do this. This sermon today is entitled, Hurry Up and Be Patient. You know those kind of people, the ones who like get there ridiculously early. They want to hurry up. They're like rushing you out the door, but they're a half hour early before anybody ever gets there. Those kind of people. Yeah, nobody knows who they are in here because they're waiting on their wives to get in the car. You know? <laughs> JK. I had to get Allie back some way. She threw me under the bus a couple weeks. And so that's what marriage is all about, right? They throw you under the bus. You throw them under the bus. This is marriage 101. I'm just kidding. Don't, don't take that advice. That's not good advice. <laughs> I, I feel like over the past few weeks, God has been dealing with me in patience. Not, over, not only the past few weeks, but the past several years. Um, but specifically in the past few weeks, it's kind of uh, come to the forefront of my heart and my mind. And, and God is making me more and more aware of patience. So be careful what you pray for. Because God just might answer that, and it, it might be just a little bit harder than you imagined. Because I prayed for it. I'm like, okay, God, you want to show me patience? I'm ready for it. You know, give me the opportunities to grow in my patience, to express my patience. And, and now I'm like, God, why did I pray that? You know, I didn't really mean it. Can we just go back? I'm going to re revoke that request. <laughs> but he's showing me some awesome stuff. I, uh, I have a Harley. Isaiah got me into a Harley. Um, uh, my first year of marriage, he took me into a Harley dealership. I, I shared this story a while ago, but he took me into a Harley dealership. I sat on a 48, and I fell in love. I told you that I, I heard the, the, the Harley angels of heaven and their girthy voices singing over me. And uh, it was an incredible thing. And, and when you get into bikes, uh, you know this if you're a bike owner. You're all about the customization of a bike. You want it to look exactly you don't want it to look like anybody else's. You want it to look like your bike. And so um, we had the opportunity to go on vacation a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I. And uh, in order for us to have a happy house, I have to get my wife away on vacation. You guys remember that whole story? Love you, babe. Uh, and so we went on vacation, and, and on vacation I had a lot of downtime which I don't normally have while I'm here. So it was an incredible experience. And my wife loves when I have downtime because most of the time that means um, spending money on things that I'm researching on the internet. And so I'm researching all this bike stuff. I'm looking at grips. I'm looking at pegs. I'm looking at a, a shifter. I'm looking at a new headlight, all this kind of stuff. And so I ordered. I'm texting Zay. I'm like, dude, I can't wait to get all this stuff on. He's like, great. When it comes in, come over to my garage and we'll put it on. And so he shared a little bit about what that looked like, but I go over to his garage, and um, I, I wanted this bike to be done instantly. You know, like, I had this idea of what I had in my mind. I'm like, let's get this thing done. Let's slap it on there. I want it to look beautiful. And so I go over to his house, and um, we're in the garage. And, and, and one thing you may know about Zay, his cars are pristine, like pristine. Um, there's not a blade of grass in there, probably because he used the electric blower to clean it out. Um, <laughs> There's nothing, no, no trash, no, no dirt, nothing. I mean, they're pristine. Uh, but, but Isaiah and Brittany, they just moved into this new house not long ago. And so we go to his garage, and his tools are like 
everywhere, which is unlike Isaiah because he's a pretty organized guy and he wants one place for things to go. But, but when I go over there, he's got tools in like five-gallon buckets and laying on the shelf and in toolboxes that don't even match the tools that are in there. And, and we're like trying to find the tools to make this thing happen. And we're, uh, he said, you know, we're makeshifting tools. He took a vice grip and he took like, uh, you know, a, a screwdriver bit and clamped down on it and we made our own tool out of it. Um, which worked for what we needed, but it was, you guys would have laughed at us if, if you were there. It was that interesting. Um, so anyways, we get the, the, the grips put on, we get the pegs put on, we get the shifter put on, and we get to the headlight. And the headlight is just a whole nother bird because it's not one of those things where you can just unplug the back and have a headlight um, and, and swap it out with a new one. You, we unbolted it, but you have to trace the line all the way down through the tank. So you got to remove the tank, and then you got to remove the seat uh, where the line runs underneath, and then you got to disconnect it, and then you got to bring the new one on. And we realized that there's only three wires running out of the new headlight, so we would have to cut and splice and all this stuff. And I'm like, I just want the bike to be finished. I just want it to be done. And this may seem so silly to you, but, but I felt God at that moment say, hey, you're learning patience, Landon. I'm teaching, you remember when you prayed for that? You remember when you asked for that patience? Well, here's an opportunity for you to express and grow in that patience. I'm like, but I want it now, God. And then uh, Allie and I, we went on a date night the other night. We had our fifth anniversary this past Thursday. Yeah. Five years. It flew by. Flew by. It's been an incredible five years. But we had a, a date night planned, and it wasn't anything too extravagant because we just went on vacation and we had a blast on vacation. But uh, we planned this date night. I said, hey, be ready by five o'clock. We're going to leave. I got anchor all taken care of. And so I'm rushing home after running errands and I'm stopping by the store to grab some things for her to give to her for her anniversary and uh, for our anniversary. And And uh, so I grabbed the things really quickly. I go to the checkout. I see people in line. And so I'm like, hey, you know what? It's probably better for me to go self-checkout. So I go to self-checkout. I'm scanning my stuff. It's only a few things. I put it in my bag. I'm like, okay, I can get out of here. I can be at home on time to pick her up. Well, I, I, I scan my credit card, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. It's one of those chip readers. So I'm like, okay, you know, this is a normal process. You have to wait a little bit for the chip to read. I'm waiting for probably a solid minute, and then boom, it flashes, and it says, declined. And I'm like, did I spend that much money on my bike parts on vacation? There's no way. No, I didn't spend that much money. And so I look at the lady, and I'm like, excuse me, my, my card declined. I know it's, it's, you know, my bank account is not empty. And she's like, it's been doing it to us all day. Just scan it a few more times. And I'm like thinking to myself, a few more times, I just waited like two minutes for this thing to happen. So I put it in again, and I wait, and I wait, and I wait, and I wait, declined. She's like, just scan it one more time. I'm like, oh my word, this is ridiculous. I have to be there to pick up my wife for our anniversary. So I scan it one more time, and I'm waiting, I'm waiting, declined. She's like, well, just bring it over here, and I'll do it for you. And I'm like, why didn't you just say that the first time? You could have saved me 10 minutes of scanning my card and standing here looking like an idiot. And so scanned it and went through, and, and I'm on my way back home, and God was like, hey, there's another opportunity for you to express your patience. And, and it's just one thing after the, the another, uh, one thing after another. Uh, on our way home, uh, we're driving back to the house to pick up anchor and get him ready for bed, and, and we get behind this Subaru, and it's 45 miles an hour on this back road, which isn't very fast to begin with, but uh, we're, we're behind this Subaru, and he's going 30 
miles an hour. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I hope there is a cop just right around. I hope Paul Smack is just sitting there waiting on him, saying this car is going too slow. He's holding up traffic. Everybody behind us is, you know, tail on tail on tail. And I'm, I'm getting so frustrated, frustrated at this guy, and, and Allie's like, hey, calm down, Landon. It's fine. You know, we're not in a rush to get anywhere. And in that moment, I felt the whisper of Holy Spirit, Landon, I'm teaching you patience. And I'm like, Lord, when is this going to end? What are, you, what are you leading up to if you're teaching me all this patience? And uh, when I began to prepare for this sermon today, I felt the Lord leading me to the story of Joseph, and we're going to read in that today. We're going to dive into the Word of God, and we're going to share a lot of Scripture. Are you okay with that? We're going to read the Word of God, and we're going to read a lot of it. So I hope you're ready to hear, because we're going to learn about patience today. If you have your Bible, open up in Genesis 37. We're going to be reading verses 2 to 36, and it's going to be on the screen behind me. So I'm just going to dive right in. It says, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. If you're looking for baby names, these are two great ones. Babe, would you write that one down, Zilpah? We'll call them Zilp for short. Uh, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel, that's his father, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had bo been born to him in his old age. And he made him a man romper of many colors. I'm just trying to relate to you. I know you guys, that's the hot thing right now. Isaiah's going to wear his new one next week, so I'm just preparing you. <laughs> he made him a robe of many colors. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. And Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers they hated him all the more, he said to them, listen. To this dream I had, we were building sheaves of, or binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly a sheaf, my sheaf rose, rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. And his brother said to, the, said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. At this point, I'm like, dude, are you crazy? Why would you tell them again? They just like, had a terrible response to you, and you're going to go and tell them again. They're going to hate you even more. And he's probably thinking to himself, oh, man, they are going to hate me today, but I'm going to tell them what God has shown me in this dream. He said, listen, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I... And your brothers actually come and bow down the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are, are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send them to you. And I want to stop there for a second and just uh, kind of show you about who Joseph is. So Joseph is 17 years old. He's younger than all the rest of his brothers, but there's something special about Joseph and, and the way this scripture reads and what the, the scholars have pulled out of this and, and diving into this word is that, that Joseph was, was set apart. He was actually a leader appointed over his brothers. And, and the way we gather that information is, is in that very first part, it says that he brought a bad report to his father about his brothers. And it wasn't him going to snitch on them or tattle on them that they were doing wrong things. 
It's actually because he was over them to make sure that they were doing the right thing, kind of like a foreman. And another reason that we know that he was over them is because of the coat that his father gave him. Yes, his father loved him, but uh, many scholars believe that this coat uh, was a symbol of his authority and his leadership. Um, They think that possibly it could have long sleeves that would set him apart from his brothers who had uh, sleeveless robes. And it's kind of like in the military when you wear those badges or the stripes on your arm or things like that. It sets you apart and lets people know, hey, they're in charge. They're a leader in this arena. And so I found that very interesting, being a 17-year-old, which would be over his older brothers. And so this could be another reason that they hated him all the more. And he says, very well, he replied, Uh, So he said to them, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. And this is so interesting because I feel like his brothers were like, you know what, I know that dad is going to send Joseph to come and check up on us, so let's go somewhere else where he's not even going to find us. But the awesome thing is that God already had his hand in this, knowing where Joseph was going to go ahead of time, and he said, no, you know what, these things have to happen. Joseph has to go and find his brother because i got some plans for him to fulfill. And so he goes, and this man overhears the brother saying, hey, we're going to Dothan. And so Joseph finds out from this man who was just randomly there. I just find it interesting that God's hand is already at work in this whole thing. And so he went on to find his brothers near Dothan, but they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Man, these dudes had it bad for Joseph. They were, they were like, he's done. We're done with this dude. He's not over us anymore. This dude is dreaming wacky dreams, saying that we're going to bow down to him. We're done with this dude. He's gone. And they're like, here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what come of his, comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, He tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness. Don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from from them and take him back to his father. He, He was on Joseph's side. He said, we can't do this. So when Joseph came back to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. This is important. I want you to remember that because this is a this is an important symbol that we'll come back to. They stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it, which is weird because in in those days, water was always in these wells for the animals. And so this is another sign that God's hand was in it for Joseph because had they thrown him into a cistern, he would have drowned. He would have uh, not been able to stay in treading water for the entire time. He would have died of starvation. He would have drowned in the cistern, and God's hand was still upon him that the well was empty. As they sat down to eat their meal, they were were hungry after they just threw their brother in a well. These dudes were whacking the head, man. They had to be crazy. They're like sitting down, yo, can you pass me that ham and cheese sandwich? And Joseph's like, guys, can you hear me? I'm down here. Can you rescue me, please? Yo, bro, can I get some of that grape juice? 
Like, these dudes are crazy. They have no remorse at all that Joseph, their brother, is in the bottom of this well, and he's going to die. Like, they want this dude gone. They sat down to eat their meal. They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. We'll not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and the brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver. That dude wasn't worth nothing to them to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took uh, the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. This dude was like game over for Joseph. He's gone. He's out of the brother's sight. No more worrying about him. Joseph is done to his father. He's dead. These dudes have no remorse at all. But I believe it's because God was was blinding their heart because he had a plan for Jacob. He had a future for Joseph. He had a future for him to save a generation It looks like it's the end, but it's not because Joseph is about to walk into the wildest, most crazy roller coaster of his entire life. And he had to learn patience. He had to grow in patience through this and trust God through the whole thing. And and that's what we're going to pull out today. So if you are taking notes today, uh, make sure you write this down. If you need a piece of paper to take notes, our ushers have them. Just slip up your hand. But number one is this. It's patience produces hope. Patience produces hope. God gave Joseph these dreams, these crazy dreams that his brothers, um, they bucked at, and his father even. He, they're, they're like, what are you talking about? We're going to bow down to you, but, but he gave Joseph a promise through dreams, and he had the choice of whether to take these promises and do something with them, or he could hold on to them. And just say, hey, this is the promise that God gave me. I'm just waiting for something to happen. He could have taken it and put it in a jar and locked the lid real tight. He could have taken that jar and, and put it in a safe and, and made a new code for it so nobody could break in. And, and he could have a safe seed that God gave him and nobody could touch. But what good would it have done him to take what God had given him, the situation that he was in, and lock it away and do nothing with it? God's given him something Great. It's a great responsibility. It seems like a huge trial, a huge burden. He's probably confused at this time. But what Joseph begins to do is take that seed and he he does something with it. What are you going to do with what God has given you in your current situation right now? Where do you find yourself in life? What are you faced with right now that God has given you something He's given you an ability. He's given you a gift for you to do something with it right now, right here. 
But you have a choice, two choices, to lock it up, to hold on to it for yourself, or to do something with it. And in Genesis 39, 2-4, it says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Joseph could have just moped around and said, you know what, I, this is the worst situation I've ever been in. Man, this is, I, I don't belong here. I need to be back looking over my brothers, watching what they're doing and, and, and tending those, those, those flocks. And I, I don't belong here. I don't want to be a slave. He could have been moping around. But he began to take what God gave him, and he tilled the soil of where he was, and he planted the seed that God gave him. He began to water it, and because of that, Things begin to grow up. Things begin to sprout up. He had hope, a glimpse of hope for what God was doing in his life because Potiphar made him ruler over everything in his house. God was giving him hope through it all. He wasn't sulking. He was making the most of what he had. But many times we find ourselves moping around. God, I, I hate my job. I don't, I don't like where I am. My family, they... They don't like me, my wife. She doesn't get along with me well. She don't cook me good food. She don't treat me right. We find ourselves moping around in our situations where we are, but where God has you is where he has you on purpose. He has a plan for you. Now it's your choice to decide, am I going to till the soil of where I am? Am I going to plant the seeds that God has given me? Or am I going to sit here and sulk and hold on to the seed that God says? And, and, and you're saying, God gave me this, this seed, this promise he gave me. He said he's going to do something about it, so I'm just waiting on it to happen. What is that going to do? You have to take the seed, you've got to till the soil, you've got to plant the seed, and you've got to water it to see anything happen. God's given you something, but you've got to do something with it. And that's what's happening with Joseph right here. Seven years ago, I was faced with a decision to um, stay where I was in Dallas, Texas, and, and potentially go on staff at Fellowship Church, or I had the opportunity to move here to Pennsylvania, to Kenneth Square, and to be a janitor and a young adults pastor. And, and let me tell you this, love has this funny way of outweighing other opportunities. Uh, it has this, 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 this way of drawing you uh, whether or not you want to do something or not. You know, I wouldn't necessarily say I put on my resume or, or I would apply to a job that, that was just for janitorial work. I don't think that that is where I shine. I do think that... that <laughs> There are some people who are phenomenal at it, and I'm, I'm so thankful for those people. But I, I wouldn't have applied for a job that had an opening for janitorial work, necessarily. Because what I knew, all I knew was leading worship and music and those kinds of things. At that time, I didn't even really have skills with video work or photography or web design or graphic design. I, I had very minimal uh, knowledge about that kind of stuff. All I knew was worship and how to lead, and how to build a team, and those kind of things. And so in coming here to be a janitor and a young adults pastor, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea. But I believed that God had a plan. 
And, and through the contemplation of deciding, hey, God, what do you want for my life? I felt like this was the door that he was calling me through. And I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't really understand it. You know, I, I'm so thankful I, I get to be with uh, my girlfriend at the time. But, God, I don't understand what you're doing because all I know is worship. But I'm coming to be a janitor and, and a young adults pastor. And, and, and through those times, I had a choice. I could sit there and sulk about it. I could mope around and say, man, I'm not leaving worship like I used to, and, and, uh, and I'm, not, I'm not getting time on stage, and, and God, you know, I have all these songs in me to write, you know that, but I'm cleaning toilets. <laughs> or I had the decision to say, you know what? I'm thankful for the opportunity you've given me. I'm going to till the soil with where I am. I'm going to learn new things. I'm going to plant the seeds that you've given me, and I'm going to watch them grow. And I'm telling you, it was the best decision of my life because he began to pull things out of me, and he began to change things in me that I didn't even know needed to be changed. I can guarantee you I'm a better person today than I was in 2010, and I'm so thankful for that. And that's due to listening to what God had for me, tilling the soil and planting the seeds in there. That's, that's not glory to me. That's not saying, oh, look what I did. That's saying when you listen to the call of God and when you follow him, look what can happen with your life. I didn't turn that around on my own. He did. I had to take a step with what he gave me, but it made a huge difference in my life. And, and it was a couple of years ago that Pastor Greg came to me and he said, hey, Landon, I feel like we're at a, a, we're at a place right now where I want to ask you to take over the worship department. And it was in that moment that I felt God say, look what I did with your patience. Look what I did with your obedience. And through that time, I'm telling you, I learned so much, and I'm so thankful for the things that he pulled out of me during those times. I'm, I'm a different person, and it's because of him. It's because of his faithfulness. I find it interesting that in those seeds, take an apple seed. You can cut open an apple, and in the apple, you can count the seeds that are in the apple. But the amazing thing is that in one of those apple seeds, you can't count the number of apples that are going to come out of that one seed. You have no idea the potential that that one seed has. And so what do you have to do? You have to trust God to know, hey, I know a future is coming. I know that these apples are coming. I don't know how many are going to be there, but I'm going to take this one seed. I'm going to till the soil before I plant. I'm going to plant in the ground. I'm going to allow you to water in my life. I'm going to be obedient to you because I know you have a plan for me. Patience produces hope. And number two, patience produces fruit. Patience produces fruit. In Genesis 39, 11 to 23, it says this. One day he went out into the house to attend his duties. This is Potiphar's house, and none of the household servants was inside. She, talking about Potiphar's wife, caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When he saw that he had left his cloak in her hand, when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside him until her master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought to us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, 
He left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. But it's still not smooth sailing for Joseph. He was, he was in a great place. He was ruler of Potiphar's house, and he was doing his thing. He was saying, God, I see the hope that you have for me. I see where you're taking me. This is amazing what you're doing in my life. And then it's like he took 10 steps backwards because of this crazy woman. She's nuts. She's like embarrassed or, or, or whatever, hurt that he, he wouldn't sleep with her. She's nuts. And she's like making up all these stories to condemn him. And it's crazy because even after he was thrown in jail, He's still producing fruit. He still sees the hope because the warden is making him ruler over everything in the prison. So anything he puts his, any position Joseph finds himself in, guess what he starts to do? He starts tilling the soil of where he is. He finds himself in prison, yet he's still tilling the soil and planting the seeds that God has given him. And he's, there, he's seeing fruit because of it. He's seeing the hope because of it. One thing that's so interesting about this passage, this entire passage that we've read so far, is, is the cloak or the tunic or the robe or the man romper or whatever you want to call it. It's interesting to me that this keeps recurring, and it stuck out to me like a sore thumb, and I didn't know why at first. I'm like, what, you know, God, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to show me with this robe? And it, it's crazy because every person that he comes into contact with that wants to tear him down they rip the cloak away from him. And, and what Jesus was telling me is that the enemy may try and pull things away from you that are attached to you. But it's not you because he can't touch you as a child of God. So when his brothers ripped his cloak away from him and dipped it in blood, they may have ripped the cloak away. But when Joseph stepped out of the cloak, it was still Joseph. They didn't have him. They weren't holding him down. When the woman tried to seduce him to sleep with him, when he stepped out of the cloak, it was just the cloak she had. It wasn't him. So the enemy may, may try and take things that are attached to your life with your job or your family or your finances or whatever it is that's attached to you. He may try and use those to attack you, to take down your family, but he cannot have you because you are a child of God. Amen. Amen. They may try and paint a different picture of you, but you're still who God made you to be. And God has another robe for us. It's not a physical robe. It's not a physical coat of many colors. But Jesus says, if you got a spirit of heaviness, then I have for you a garment of praise. And that's all you have to do because the enemy can't touch a garment of praise. And you know what that's inspired from? You know what that's pulled from? That's pulled from the worship that you begin to sing to God out of your heart. And as I was reading this, this passage, I began to wonder what it was like for Joseph and going through these situations. 
I mean, he must have been scared. He must have been confused. He must have been hurt and saying, God, what are you doing in this? I, I didn't do anything. All I did was share the dream that you placed in my heart. My brothers threw me in a well and sold me into slavery. I was serving Potiphar's house, doing what I was supposed to do, and this woman tried to seduce me and then lied about what I did. He's got to be confused. He's got to be wondering, what is going on? God, what are you doing in my life? And I began to worship God, and, and I feel like he downloaded this song into my heart, and it, and it comes from Scripture. It comes from Isaiah 61.3, where it says, To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Amen. And I began to sing this. A garment of praise for my heaviness. A garment of praise for my heaviness. A garment of praise for my heaviness. Faithful God, you never fail. And you trade beauty for ashes, it never ends. You trade beauty for ashes, never ends. Beauty for ashes, it never ends. Faithful God, you never fail. And I believe that's what Joseph was singing when he was in those moments of frustration of saying, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to trade the spirit of heaviness for a garment of praise. I'm going to trade this sadness for joy because I know that your joy is coming in the morning. This may last for a night, but I'm going to have patience. I'm going to trust you, God, with what you're doing in my life. I'm going to trade it because what the enemy's trying to take from me, he can't because it's not me. He's trying to take things that are attached to my life. But God, I, he, can't he can't take what you've made me. He can't take what you've placed in me. And I choose to receive your garment of praise for that spirit of heaviness. Amen. Amen. I love that we can be confident in knowing that God is with us. And that's why it's said over and over and over in Genesis, in the story of Joseph, it continues to say that, that God is with us. In Genesis 39.3, when he's at Potiphar's house and, and, and looking over uh, Potiphar's house and ruling what's going on there, it says that the Lord is with him. When he's in the prison in Genesis 39.21, it says that the Lord is with him. In whatever situation you find yourself, in today and whatever situation that you're going to face or that you're going to go back home to when you leave here today God is with you and he's never left you and he never will he's a faithful God and he never changes that's for somebody today I don't know who it is but God is with you where you are he hasn't forgotten about you he knows exactly where you are you just have to be patient until the soil where you are because in due time he's going to show you he's going to unlock that promise that he has for you and that leads us to number three, patience unlocks the promise. Patience unlocks the promise. And we're wrapping up here. But, but, but to get to the promise, you know, when I, when I looked at my Harley and I said, hey, there, there's all these things that I want to change. There's all this stuff that I want to happen for my bike to look this certain way. I couldn't just imagine it and it automatically happened. 
No, there was a process that I had to go through. There were steps that I had to take. I had to research the material that I wanted. I had to put the material that I wanted in my cart. I had to take that cart and purchase the things that were in my material. I had to remove the old things that were on my bike. I had to take that material and put it onto the bike and make sure it's all working properly. You see, there's steps that you have to go through before you can receive the promise that God has for you. You may have to go things, through things that are uncomfortable, the things that you don't want to happen, the, the places that you don't want to be. God may call you somewhere where you're uncomfortable, but you've got to go through steps in order to unlock the promise that God has for you. You have to go through steps one and two before you can reach step three. Amen? If you're building an Ikea desk, you guarantee you can't go to that, that, end, uh, that end number and, and get that end finished result without going through all those million steps to begin with. Man, I want to pull my hair out when I build those things. Those things are ridiculous. Ikea. You got to go through steps in order to unlock the promise of what God has for you. You see, Joseph, he had to go out to find his brothers in Dothan in order for them to say, we want to kill this guy and we're going to throw him into this well. He had to be thrown into the well in order to be sold into slavery. He had to be sold into slavery in order to rule Potiphar's house. He had to be caught with the woman and accused falsely of what he did with Potiphar's wife in order for him to go into the jail. And then he had to go into the jail in order to interpret the dreams of the cupbearer and of the baker. And when he interpreted these dreams, then when he got to Pharaoh, Pharaoh had these dreams and he said, I need someone to interpret the dreams and he called Joseph in and Joseph began to interpret the dreams for him and right then and there Joseph is saying oh my word God you are about to do what you promised me I'm, I'm feeling it I'm feeling it in my spirit I know that we're on the edge because Potiphar said I'm gonna make you second in command only to me you're the wisest man in all the land and there's no one that I would appoint other than you to handle what is coming and God was bringing a famine in the land and the only person that could prevent them from dying of starvation with this generation was Joseph. And that's because he interpreted the dream that Potiphar had and saying, I know that a famine is coming for seven years and I know what to do to prevent that. I know what I gotta do to save a generation, to save a land from dying and starvation. And Joseph begins to see the promise unlocking. And it goes on to say this, in Genesis 45, verses 4 through 8, it says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there have been famine in the land and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. It was God who sent Joseph all along. You see, God's hand was in every single one of Joseph's situations, even though it seemed the darkest, even though it seemed the bleakest, and that nothing could be going right for him. God, God's hand was there all along the way through each and every one of those steps. And, and I want to ask you today, what step are you in that God is asking you to till the soil where you are? It may seem dark, it may seem bleak, but in due time, God has a plan for you, and he's going to unlock that promise as long as you're obedient 
and you till the soil where you are and you take that seed he's given you and you plant it in the ground, you're going to see the fruit. You got to do something with it. You got to do something with it. Over this time, between chapters 37 and 42, they say it was about a 12-year span. 12 years. Some of you guys are like, man, last week I asked God to take care of my $60,000 of consumer debt. I ain't seen it yet. Well, first of all, God is asking you to do something, to spend wisely, to be a good steward of the money that he's giving you. You've got to do something with it to make that happen. You're the one who got yourself there. He's given you the resources and the ability to get out of it. Just be faithful with what God has given. So we're complaining in the situation that we're in, and we're saying, God told me he was going to get me out of that debt, so I'm going to hold on to this seed. How are you going to do that if you don't plant it first into good soil and water it and do the things that God has asked you to do? Would you stand with me this morning? I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know what step you're in. You may not even know what step you're in. But I believe that God has a promise for each and every one of your lives that he wants to fulfill. But he's asking you to do something with it first. He's asking you to till the soil with where you are. You can't just stand there and wait around and sulk and twiddle your thumbs and wait for the things to come to you. It's not going to happen, I promise you. It's not going to happen that way. You have a job. God's asked you to do something with where you are. It may be tough. It may be difficult. But you've got to take the first step. If you're here today and, and, and you would say, man, this sounds great. This sounds awesome. That God uh, who was with Joseph through all those situations, I want that in my life. But maybe you don't have that today. I want to give you the opportunity to accept Jesus, the Jesus that we talked about in this story that preserved Joseph's life the one who walked with him every step of the way. If, if you don't know who that Jesus is personally in your life, would you just slip up your hand today and say, I want to receive him. I want to receive Jesus in my life. Just slip your hand up to where I can see it. Amen. Amen. We're going to throw this scripture on this back screen right here. And if, if you slipped your hand up, I just want you to, Repeat this with me. Just say this with me out loud. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. That's all you got to do. Believe in your heart. Jesus, your Lord. Confess it with your mouth. I want to make you my Lord. You will be saved. That's it. And I want to welcome you into the kingdom of heaven today. Would you welcome with me, those who raise their hand today. Amen. Amen. Listen, this, this isn't the end for you. This is just the beginning. This is the first step to a new life, to a new journey, and we want to help equip you along the way. So on your way out today, our ushers are going to have some material for you to help you with any questions that you may have, and we want to supply that with you. So make sure you just say, hey, I received Jesus today. I would love some material to know what my next step is. And I just want to pray for you today that whatever situation, whatever step you find yourself in today, God's got a plan for you. But patience produces hope. It produces fruit. 
and it unlocks the promise of God. Have patience in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you for what you've done in our lives. We thank you, Jesus, that we have the opportunity to be patient. We thank you for allowing us to learn, even though we may feel like it's the most difficult thing we've ever been in, even though we may feel like we're confused or we're hurt or we're scared. God, we trust you. We choose to trust you. And we choose to have patience through it all, knowing that you've given us a promise, you've given us a hope and a future. God, and we hold on to that because we believe that our promise is coming. We're going to continue to have patience. We're going to continue to listen to what you've asked us to do. And we're going to till the soil with where we are. We're going to plant the seed. We're going to allow you to water it, Lord Jesus, so that we can see the fruit one day be fulfilled. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Can you give God-